Thank you. Good morning. The title of my sermon is Reversing the Worst Evil. Reversing the Worst Evil. And I present this in the context of uh, a great controversy. Uh, the dividing glory of self-sacrificing love refutes the devil's assertion that self-interest is the best. Um, I like to begin with a story, a story where Jesus wept the first time as far as I know, the first time, over 6,000 years ago. Jesus was up in heaven. Lucifer was just cast down to the earth. Adam and Eve have not yet sinned. And Lucifer realized that, poof, I lost everything practically. And he asked the holy angels and says, would you go back to Jesus? And would you ask him to take me back? I take any position, any position. Just take me back. And this is where inspiration tells us that Jesus wept. Now, brethren, there are a few stories after the incarnation when Jesus wept. And we better pay close attention. You remember the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday? Everybody was singing Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. And as they reached the hill, Jesus started to cry. Irrepressible cry and weeping and even shouting. And the people became silent. Everybody was praising him, saying, Hosanna, and why is he crying? Why was he crying? Because he knew that Sunday, who said Hosanna, next Friday, many of the same people will shout, crucify him, crucify him. Are you with me, brother? Now, what kind of a praise is there that today I say Hosanna and a few days later I say crucify him? He had reason to cry. Or, let me give you another illustration. Jesus was coming to the sepulcher where Lazarus was laying. You remember the story? I am just refreshing your memory. And the scripture says, Jesus wept. Now, Desire of Ages tells us so beautifully that he wept because he saw something that the people did not see yet. But when Jesus raised Lazarus, the Sanhedrin came together immediately, and what decision did they make? We have to kill not only Jesus, but we have to kill Lazarus himself. The greatest miracle 
the crowning miracle should have convicted them. Instead, they said, we have to kill now both. So when Jesus cries, brethren, we better pay close attention. But let me come back to the original story. This holy angel came to Jesus with the request of Lucifer, please take me back. Any position, just take me back. And then Jesus started to cry. But the story doesn't end there. Jesus said, no, I cannot take you back. And he explained it. He explained it. He says, because the rebellion is still in his heart. Oh, he was requesting the return because lost something. But brethren, that's not true repentance. If you read Steps to Christ, and I would highly recommend you read that little book, true repentance is not when we cry the consequences of our wrongdoing. True repentance is something that only God can give. Are you with me? Only God can give. And he offers it on a limited time. It's not always available. We have to be careful. We have to be extremely careful. Because there will be a time when Jesus leaves the heavenly sanctuary and grace will no longer be available for you and me. Right now it is. And we can still repent. Reversing the worst evil. Uh, what was it? Worst evil. Now, brethren, may I say this? I, I, I don't want to offend anybody. I am only a guest here, and if I offend too many people, you will not invite me back. You know, I like to come back. So that's a compromise. That's not good either. <clears throat> but basically, you and I, if we don't get saved, we go to where? Hell. Or don't they expect? But that's not the greatest tragedy. Evil didn't start in the Garden of Eden. Is that correct? It started in heaven next to the throne of grace. And God had been maligned, falsely accused before the universe. 
before there was an Adam and Eve. Turn me with me to the book of Job. I like to give a few illustrations, but old stories, but with new emphasis, okay? Old stories, but they need new emphasis. Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before God. And Satan also came among them. Now, who are these sons of God, brethren? Mm-mm-mm-mm. I heard some answer. Uh, representatives of the other world. So, in other words, whatever took place, took place before the universe. It was not limited to a few little group. And the Lord asked Satan, verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, blameless, upright, one who fears God and shuns evil? Oh, Lord, may it be the description of every one of us. It has to be. Brethren, it has to be. If we want to go to heaven, it has to be. Your description and my description, anything short, forget salvation, okay? Forget it. Forget it. Just forget it. Satan answered, verse 9, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his house and around all that he has? On every side you have blessed the work of his hand. His possessions have increased in the land. But, listen to this carefully. This is an accusation before the universe, the representatives of the universe, the sons of God. But now stretch out your hand, touch all that he has, and he will, what? Surely curse you to your face. Now, what was the devil saying, brethren? What was the devil saying? God Your diagnosis is false. You said Job is such and such and such a man, but it is not so. He's not the same inside as he is on the outside. Are you with me so far? It it amounted to that, that God, what you say is not true. Uh, Occasionally I get on the internet. I love history. I love political history. I'm still interested what's going on in Europe. 
my home country and some of your home country. I just listened to it yesterday. The German representative at the European Parliament. Are you listening? Not somewhere out in the bundogs. In the European Parliament, Christine Anderson says the biggest crime over committed on humanity, the COVID vaccine 19. The biggest crime ever committed on humanity. And this representative spoke in front of the European Parliament. In other words, all the diagnoses and the claims were false. Now, I don't ask you to agree with me. I don't ask you to... I don't want to fight over this. You believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. I hope we end up in the same place together. <laughs> but it makes a difference what you believe. But brethren, when Jesus makes a diagnosis, it is true, literally true. And what did Jesus say about Job? <clears throat> My servant, that there is none like him on earth. Blameless. Upright. One who fears God and shuns evil. I mean, what a quality. What a quality. And Lucifer says, no, it's not true. It's not true. Now, brethren, I want you to know the issues, the real issue. Because what was the real issue 6,000 years ago? It's still the real issue. And it will be the real issue until when this thing is over. <coughs> <clears throat> and the real issue is the absolute trustworthiness of the word of God brethren that's a life and death question that's a salvation issue Believe it or not, it is a salvation issue. You trust God implicitly, his word, or you forget it. Why do you come to church if you don't believe? Just don't come. Ooh. Did I say the wrong thing? No, I said the right thing, brother. But you didn't say an amen. <clears throat> Uh, to do the right thing with the wrong motives. 
is still not acceptable. To do the right thing with the wrong motives is still not acceptable. So motivation is a salvation issue. In the last days, we are told, you just have to read the book of Revelation, that you will not be able to buy, you will not be able to sell. Where will you end up financially, brethren? I, I don't want to push a panic button you may never go through of that. The Lord may put you to sleep. I don't know. But if I believe the word of God, what was the issue with Job will be the issue of the last generation. You serve the Lord for service, uh, selfish purposes. And that motive is not acceptable. When we read the story of Jesus, <clears throat> I, I promise to be brief, but brethren, please remember I started at 12.30. <clears throat> okay? So don't punish me by saying you have five minutes and let's go home. Okay? <clears throat> I started late. So I let you go late, okay? It's only fair. It's only fair. <clears throat> Do I serve the Lord because I love him? Any other thing is really not acceptable. Pascal, Pascal, the famous French mathematician 200 years ago. 200 years ago, he says, there is so much deception and lying going on, not 200 years ago, what would he say today? We can't trust the media. I'm getting into politics. No, I'm not getting into politics. This is theology. But Pascal said, there is so much lying and deception that in order to get to know the truth, you first have to love it. Unless you love the truth, you will not get to know it. And if you read Second Thessalonians, that famous chapter, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, you know it by heart, you know, about the Antichrist and deception. What was the reason the Lord allowed supreme deception to come into playing an important role. What was it? Jesus says, because they have not received the love of the truth. They have not received the love of the truth. <coughs> I want to love. Uh, let me use one or two more illustrations briefly. Uh, we studied it last quarter, and, and I, 
I thought I am not an emotional guy, but when I read the story of Joseph and his father, it brings tears to my eyes. I can't read it just in neutral, you know, okay, story, dramatic, okay. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. The scripture says that Jacob loved Joseph more than any of the other boys. But do we realize the reason behind it? For seven years he worked for Rachel. And the scripture says those seven years flew because he loved her so much that he was just happy. And they deceived him, his father-in-law. Some father-in-laws are no good. I didn't speak about mother-in-laws, okay, ladies? But it was a gross deception, a bad one. But if things worked as they should have worked, Joseph should have been the firstborn. Is that correct? But he was way back on the list. But brethren, may I say, doesn't the scripture tell us that there is more to firstborn than chronological time? How many times scripture illustrates that the firstborn is not the firstborn? When Samuel goes to the home of David, you remember? And all the brothers are lined up to be the next king. And the Lord says, no, this is not, not, not. And finally, Samuel speaks to David's father. He says, do you, do you still have a son? Yeah, yeah, he's out in the field keeping the sheep. Oh, Samuel says, we don't sit down until you bring him in. And when David came, the Lord says, this is him. There are many other illustrations. But the birthright really should have been given to Joseph. And was it Joseph's fault that his father loved him? Didn't he have a reason? He loved his mother. You know, I have two. Two granddaughters. I better don't say too much, but just a little. I have two granddaughters. And those granddaughters are very, very, very dear to me because their mother was very dear to me. You follow me? Mothers, do you understand? And fathers, you may understand too. So it was not Joseph's fault. Then he had a dream. You just read it in the scripture. You know, 11 sheep bowing down before his sheep. Was it his fault? I mean, I mean, ordinarily I would say it was a dream. But if it were not enough, he had a second dream. And this time not only 11 stars but the sun and the moon 
And the eleven sires bowed down. And he shared the dreams. Was it his fault that he got this dream? No, brethren, it was not his fault. It was a divine revelation. It was a divine revelation. But they did not perceive it that way. In fact, what was their counsel? They said, let us kill him. Let us kill him. And we will see what happens to your dream. Brethren, let us see that in the story, the devil proved himself again that he denied the trustworthiness of God's word. God's word says it will be so. The devil says no. And what that poor boy had to go through, first sold into slavery, then he got into a good home of Potiphar. He was going up, and that miserable Mrs. Potiphar helped him to land in prison because of his faithfulness. And then when he interprets a dream of the cupbearer and the chief cook, they forget about him either. You follow me? I mean, one problem after another. But the dream was God's dream. After all, it's in the scripture, in the canonical scripture. You know, the book of Moses is part of the Old Testament canon. And if you are a biblical Christian, you don't question it. Amen? Amen, yes. But the Lord, I love this story because it reveals God's character so beautifully. In spite of human failure, failure of Jacob, Jacob's father-in-law, failure of all all the family members. It was, it was not an ideal home. It was not an ideal home. But the Lord worked through that home. And finally, the Pharaoh had a dream. You remember? He tells the dream. And none of the wise men are capable of interpreting. They just don't know what is the meaning of this dream. And finally the cupbearer says, oh, I remember two years ago there was a prisoner who interpreted our dreams and it came to pass. Immediately they sent for Joseph. He shaves, dresses up properly, follow protocol, you know. And he interprets a dream. And nobody questions the validity of that interpretation. Are you there, brethren? It's a big thing. A prisoner coming out from the prison interprets it and nobody questions. In fact, the pharaoh says, do we find a man who is capable of 
resolving the problem. He says, I will make you ride on the second chariot. Put on him the golden chain. And the command was given, bow the knee, bow the knee. I wish we knew what happened, Mrs. Potiphar. But I have to wait. I have to wait. But she was probably shaking in her boots. No, the revenge is coming. <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. It's not important to my salvation, and it's not important to your salvation. But in the entire story, brethren, first ten brother goes down to buy food. <coughs> Now, please remember the cardinal statement that I started with, reversing the worst evil. In this procedure, God is reversing the worst evil. Ten brothers go home and tell Jacob that the governor says, unless our brother goes with us or comes with us, we cannot go. And Jacob is hesitant to let Benjamin go. He says, I lost Joseph. I cannot endure if I lose Benjamin. But finally, they run out of food. They have no choice. And they consent Do you remember the story when the golden cup is found in Benjamin's bag? They all tear their clothes. They go back, fall down before Joseph. He says, we are your slaves. Joseph says, no, 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 no. I don't need all. Ten of you. Just the individual in whose bag was my cup, Benjamin. And Judah steps forward and begins to plead as no human being pled before. And Joseph cannot hold himself back anymore. Says, let everybody depart from here. And then finally he tells them, I am Joseph, whom you sold. Is my father still alive? Everybody is speechless. But brethren, what I want you to know, and I don't have the time... It's your fault. It's your fault. You made me start late, okay? It's your fault, too. <clears throat> but let's come back to the serious side of it. In all this process, 
remember the title, Reversing the Worst Evil. On one side, as God fulfills his word, he uses ethical methods, not breaking the law, not using brute force, honoring the freedom of everybody, while Lucifer does the opposite. If you, if you read the details of the story, on one side there is violence, unjustifiable force, and so on and so on. But on God's side, no breaking of any ethical law. Is that story beautiful? Motivation is a salvation issue. Uh, let me just... Ah. And finally, Jacob dies. The boys come before Joseph fall down again. They remembered what Esau said. What was it what Esau said? When my father dies, I will kill Jacob. They knew the story. And they assumed that Joseph will do the same thing. They fell down. And Joseph wept and cried. He says, no, I have no intention to do that. I love you more. I mean, Joseph truly represented Christ. Truly represented Christ. Mm. I wanted to say so much. Uh, I, I have to make one correction and then I finish, okay? <clears throat> uh, on the last Sabbath in May when I was speaking here, I made reference to a very critical issue of abortion. And inspiration tells us that publicly committed wrong has to be publicly corrected. Is that correct? Yes, it is correct. Uh, I was reasoning with some of my brethren, prominent brethren, more knowledgeable than I, out of silence. What I mean, I, I told you that in that book that I got, they quoted hundred and hundred and hundred of scriptures, death penalty for this, death penalty for that, death penalty for that, but none for abortion. Since then I learned it's not safe to make a conclusion because something is silent the Lord doesn't speak about. It's not the proper way. I was wrong. I beg your pardon. Just one more 
issue to the, here is the issue of abortion. But do you know there is a other issue, other side to it? How many sons did Judah have? How many sons? Three. Three. You were almost, almost. But that's all right. It's not a salvation. It's not a salvation issue. Okay. Do you know what was the name of the second one? Whom the Lord killed? Onan. Onan. And do you know why the Lord killed him? Okay. If not, look it up. In classical medical history books, at least in Hungary. I have to depend on that. In classical medical history book, his name, Onan, is synonymous with self-abuse. Self-abuse. And the spirit of prophecy definitely speaks strongly against it. And in my humble opinion, if abortion excludes individuals from heaven, self-abuse will exclude individuals. Justice. The topic is closed. I don't want to dwell on it anymore. In closing... Let's turn to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, and I I, I finish. Revelation 21. It's about the new Jerusalem coming down. Let's read it. Revelation 21, 9 and on. Revelation 21, verse 9 and on. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven balls filled with the seven last plagues said, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven, (coughs) having the glory of God. And her light was like the most precious stone, like jasper, stone clear and crystal as crystal, also had a great and high wall with Twelve gates, twelve angels at the gates, and the name on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. In closing, you and I, when we go to heaven, we will have to walk through one of those gates. 
There is no choice but going through one of those gates. In the name of Jacob's sons, we'll be on it. But the transformed sons, the sanctified sons, the justified sons, who receive a new name just like you and I will receive. Not the old names. But we know the story behind those names, don't we? God reversing the first evil. And brethren, I say, Worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing forever and ever. I love him. I invite you to love him too. Thank you for your time.